Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Absurdity and uh, I'm excited because the Wakanda recordings continue today. You've heard uh, a couple episodes prior, and today we're sitting actually in the Wisconsin Conference's like president's office in Camp Wakanda. And unfortunately, evening meetings just got out, which means that there's like kids running around and people running around. And so if you hear any weird noises or kids running around screaming and laughing, I promise they're they're having a good time. They're just also having a loud time. But um, I'm excited today because I'm joined by two really cool people that I also get to do ministry with alongside this week. Uh, and that is uh, Stephen Hall. So Stephen, thank you for joining us yet again. I'm glad to be here, man. You're like an unofficial co-host in that. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> That's how the listener is also reacting right now. Hopefully. <laughs> and then uh, also Zach Payne. So, Zach, thank you for coming on, man. Yeah, happy to be on. This is, this is going to be really cool. I'm excited about this. Zach, you're someone who's... Um, it's funny that the three of us all grew up in the same place, different ages, um, didn't really cross paths until Southern, but really didn't cross paths until the internet, as far as Zach, you and I are concerned. Um, and then literally a few days ago is the first time we've met in person. Um, and you were just as tall as I remember you being. And I, as I walked by you as a freshman at Southern, as you were a senior. So um, it is, re- it is with, uh, with much pun intended that I say this. I look up to you. Um, you just, I respect you. <laughs> uh, but uh, let, tell, me, tell me just a bit about yourself. Um, help our listeners know uh, more about who you are and your background and, and kind of what you do. Yeah, sure. Like you said, uh, I am from uh, the Orlando area, from Apopka originally, uh, and I found my way all the way up here in my uh, calling to ministry. So I'm uh, stationed in uh, Racine, Wisconsin. I pastor the uh, I pastor Wizen, which used to be called the Racine District, but we rebranded as Wizen, uh, and so we are uh, four churches in between Milwaukee and Chicago, and. Uh, yeah, just trying trying some exciting new things to really try to revitalize an old district. Um, yeah, so yeah, you can you I, can you can find more about it on at uh, at Wizen 
sda.org, W-I-S-E-N-S-D-A.org. Now, I actually think what you're doing there is really cool because I've seen some of the live streams you've done of... Uh, like on Facebook Live and stuff like that of like Friday Night Vespers and things. And, and the work that you're doing there is really cool. And also, I'm the one who helped you set up the website to begin with, so right. I was able to watch your website take shape as you built it. Um, and it is really cool to see the work that you're doing and how you, honestly, like in a region where a lot of the topics you cover aren't exactly the most welcomed topics or most celebrated topics, uh, you've been unafraid to just hit the, hit the nail on the head with a lot of them and just dive right in. And so I've, I've actually been really appreciative of your ministry. Um, but Amen. I, yeah, and, and thank you for helping with the website. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> no worries. That was, a, that was a huge help. And, uh, yeah, as far as, you know, just tackling big issues, I think, honestly, it's just uh, the way that I feel is, like, it's just fair to the congregation that, like, they get to know where I stand on things. Yeah. It helps me through bringing these things up to get to know where they stand on them. And uh, whether or not we agree on them, it's kind of like, okay, well, this is where we stand and we can move forward. Uh, better informed about about each other as we work together. Yeah. Now, how long have you how long have you been in Wisconsin? Um, I started in the summer of 2012, uh, working in Green Bay uh, as a as a youth pastor. I uh, went to the seminary after that, uh, and I've been in uh, in the Wizen uh, for about two years. Okay, solid. So. Uh, Steve's been in Wisconsin for seven days. Yep, whole week. <laughs> whole week. Uh, You've yeah. been here for years, and I've been here for four days. So but this is uh, quite the time difference that yeah. we're that we're dealing with. But um, and I've seen. I feel like the both both the best and worst that Wisconsin has to offer in the last four days in weather alone, <laughs> as it's been both hot and sunny and cold and rainy and gross. Yep. The only thing I haven't had is feet of snow. And I'm really glad I won't I'm, experience I'm, I'm, that. Uh, hopefully, not experience that. Right. You never know, though. I mean, uh, this week. Yeah, <laughs> you never not. know. Um, so, we are at Wisconsin's camp meeting. If you haven't been listening to the last couple episodes, uh, we all three of us are working at the youth tent, which is ages 16 to 18. Um, Zach's kind of in charge of it. Steve's a part of the, the pastoral team uh, that's working there, and then they invited me to speak because. I don't know why. So uh, we've been. You're good with the mouth words. There we go. Yeah. That's probably why I host a podcast or two or three. <laughs> Someone send help. <laughs> All my free time is gone. Um, well, let's dive right into it. Um, I say that six minutes into our recording. Um, today we're going to talk about a bit about some Adventist history. And what I mean by Adventist, really, we're talking about Christian history. But I think this topic seems most relevant to Adventists um, as far as like we tend to interact with it the most directly and talk about it the most out of many denominations, uh, and that is the Sabbath. Um, and when I say that specifically for my non-Adventist listeners, really what I mean is um, Adventists do believe in a seventh-day Sabbath um, and that it was changed at some point in history from Saturday to Sunday, not by God but by people. And so we've kind of reclaimed the seventh-day Sabbath, and so we keep Saturday as our day of rest. So when we do worship, that's when we don't do work or uh, try to encourage others not to work on those days as well. So the Sabbath is a major part of our identity. That's why we're called Seventh-day Adventists. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the historical part of of the Sabbath. And here's what I do want to say. Um, We're not sharing this in hopes that I'm going to convert anyone who's non-Adventist. This is actually the backdrop for a much larger conversation in general. So... Um, don't think we're trying to do like old school apologetics here and get everyone to do. We're not. There's no altar call at the end of this. Um, but I just want to be frank and transparent in saying that yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about church history and it's going to be through the lens um, kind of of our faith tradition because that's so, our perspective. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So that's the best way to do it rather than adopting a perspective that isn't ours. So, Zach, you actually came to me with the idea uh, for this episode, and I'm really excited to talk about this. So I'm going to kind of let you take the floor here. Um, what is – and I think the, the, the best way to do this is to start with the information of what's the traditional view of uh, – historical view of how um, the Sabbath was changed from Saturday to Sunday? What's the traditional thing that we always tell people? Right. So in Adventism, uh, the the prevailing narrative, and, and probably outside of Adventism too, um, is just this idea that Adventist—sorry, that Christians uh, kept the seventh day Sabbath uh, since they were originally a sect of Judaism, and really branched off of that, and, and would have kept that same Sabbath. That um, they kept it faithfully for uh, years until. Uh, about 1313, uh, when you have the Edict of uh, Milan. And uh, at that point, Emperor Constantine is pretty much saying uh, that we're going to change things up. We're going to adopt Sunday as the official day of Christian worship. Uh, and, you know, due to that, uh, from then on, Christians kept Sunday. Uh, and so it's really traditionally seen... Uh, and, and if I'm if I'm incorrect, I believe it is the Edict of Milan, but <laughs> that that he that he makes a statement that yeah. we're going to keep this uh, this next day holy from now on, and everyone just kind of either accepts it or will be punished. So yeah. Christianity from that point is pretty much told uh, from a, a top down model uh, that this is how it's going to be, and the rest is lost in history, and Christians still keep Sunday today. Yep. Um, yeah. So that, that's the traditional view that I'm. Aware yeah, of. and 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 like obviously, there's more there. There's there's some political play with Constantine um, trying to kind of appease the best of both worlds worlds for political party between pagans and those who would worship on Sunday, and then Christians, um, and an easy route to appease two people fighting for which day of worship we should have is to um, say that oh well, Jesus rose on Sunday, let's go with that one, right? Um, and there's so there's there's some other things involved with with that edict um, and with that decision. Um, there's doubts that even there's doubts that Constantine ever really converted. I know that that's a that's an argument among scholars, and that um, they there's a lot that believe that he may have just converted simply for the political points as well for the for the recognition or for the the um, the respect that he would get for it or just to win favor with the Christians. So I know that there's like competing theories out there about that, but yeah, yeah I think you've hit kind of the basic foundational nail on the head there. Yeah. It actually just looking through my notes, uh, that, that decree came in 321. Edie Milan was something different where he was treating Christians benevolently. Uh, once he converts, uh, later on in 321, he does, uh, make the, uh, statement on the venerable day of the sun. There is, I love this because I'm picturing like a, a listener in his car, like driving to work and he's raised the pitchfork and then he's slowly <laughs> he's like, oh, putting wait, it no, down. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so just, no. just stay tuned because uh, self-correcting is on its way. Yes. <laughs> I'm excited for how many things we're going to get wrong. No, I, um, all right. So you actually approached me with something that I hadn't heard before this week um, when, when, when we had talked about you coming on the show. And so I'm really excited about this because this is actually right up an alley that I've been wanting to, to talk about in general. It's a theory that I have, and I think I've actually mentioned it on the show before. Um, but there's, there's more to the changing of the Sabbath in history than kind of meets the eye on this one. And um, there's more than just that top-down Emperor Constantine makes this decree and then we're all suddenly Sunday worshipers. Um, so 
kind of give us some backdrop or, or give us give us some story here. What do we gloss over or what do people not realize about that change of the Sabbath? Well, I think that uh, it, it really kind of starts with this, um, you know, I, I guess it really starts with the, the Jerusalem Council and this idea that, you know, we really, uh, Jews start kind of talking about the, the question of how do we minister to Gentiles, right? Uh, and so there's this big question of like, how do we deal with the Gentile problem? Um, well, as, as time goes on, and as Jews actually lose favor in Rome and Christians gain favor to a degree, or, or at least don't lose favor in the same way that Jews do, they want to start separating themselves from the Jews. So Jews gradually lose favor in Rome. Christian persecution in Rome begins around uh, uh, 64 AD under Emperor Nero. Jerusalem is destroyed in 70 AD, and this is seen uh, by Christians as divine judgment on the Jews. So there's already this narrative that's starting, right? And it kind of even starts with the, the, the stoning of Stephen. You know, there's this kind of Christian idea that, oh, Judaism has lost favor, and now it's up to the Gentile Christians uh, mm. to carry on that torch. So Christians seek to differentiate themselves between, them, uh, between themselves and the Jews, and Sunday worship uh, begins among Christians as a practical way to accomplish such a differentiation. Uh, and some early evidence of this, which is um, which is very interesting, um, is we, we find uh, Ignatius of Antioch in the early 2nd century saying, those who were brought up in the ancient order of things have come to the possession of a new hope, no longer observing the Sabbath, but living in the observance of the Lord's day, on which... Uh, also, our life has sprung up against again by him and his death. So this is like uh, Apostle John probably died in ninety five A.D., mm-hmm. and this is like years later. So it's it's not like a long time later that you know you have Ignatius, who is a influential yeah. uh, figure in early Christianity, starting to make a case for keeping Sunday instead of mm-hmm. Saturday holy. Justin Martyr, in the mid-2nd century, uh, says, But Sunday is the day on which we hold our common assembly, because it is the first day on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world and Jesus Christ our Savior on the same day rose from the dead. So, remember, we talked about how, uh, you know, Constantine, it's like uh, 321 AD when he makes this decree on Sunday. This is... Way before, yeah, Yeah. way before. Uh, So it's interesting that it's really people start making a case for Sunday worship, and the underlying reason seems to be none other than uh, the desire to differentiate between uh, Christianity and Judaism. Drawing that line in the sand is like delineation, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. That's... That's that's really funny to me, too, because there's a lot of teachings, and, and... um, even now, granted, I understand that the Bible, as we know it, hadn't been put really together yet. But that really shows that there are. I think currently we put a lot of blame on pastors for the inadequate knowledge of their members or of you know of poor discipleship. And I, and I do think that there are a lot of pastors that are not doing their job in that area. But I think also what we see here is. Um, regardless of how good of a teacher you are, if someone has an idea or someone has a, a proclivity for something or an, in, or an inclination to something, um, they're, they're going to do it regardless. And if 
I, I see Paul being consistent in saying, yeah, well, there, the plan of salvation was that, that the Gentiles would be grafted in, not that they would replace, but that they would be grafted in. And I don't see him being inconsistent in, in writing that and then teaching the opposite to people, right? Like, I'm pretty sure that the apostles, all Jews, would, would also not be like, hey, forget them Jews, because they're Jews themselves. So it's it's interesting to me to think, like, as I read the New Testament, there's all these people that are advocating for joining together, and already, just right after they are all gone, there's so much advocation now for, or advocating for the opposite, that we need to separate and be and differentiate ourselves. That's just, it flies completely in the face of what the early church was already starting to do, or trying to do. Right, and, and so the interesting thing on top of that is that... Uh, Aside from just the differentiation and the separation, uh, shortly after we start to find uh, Christian anti-Jewish rhetoric, uh, so it's not just, hey, we don't want to be associated anymore. It's not just, hey, uh, it's dangerous for the empire to consider us Jews, so it is expedient for us to make a differentiation. It's not just theological. Uh, Now, all of a sudden, you start to find... uh, a an upswing in uh, anti-Jewish rhetoric, which then turns fairly quickly and gains steam as hate speech uh, as we move uh, forward in history. Uh, do, do you have any examples? Or no? Yeah, it's okay yeah. if you don't. I'm no, just no, curious. No. <laughs> this, uh, well, yeah, I, I, I'm chock full of examples, and, <laughs> and, and it's actually quite uh, fascinating and very saddening. Uh, mm. to see early examples in Christianity, um, and some not so early, like some that, you know, people that we really revere uh, in Christianity as as heroes of Christianity, uh, making these statements. But uh, just starting off, uh, Ignatius of Antioch, again, says, For if we are still practicing Judaism, we admit that we have not received God's favor. It is wrong to talk about Jesus Christ and live like Jews. For Christianity did not believe in Judaism, but Judaism in Christianity. So he starts, uh, it's pretty mild, but it's, you know, kind of rewriting this idea that, well, you know, it it wasn't that uh, Christians became Jews, Jews became Christians. So obviously Christians are better. And, uh, you know, so he starts making that case just from a logical standpoint. And, And, you know, I think, I think a lot of Christians would look at this and not have too big of an issue, but as as you start to see it pick up steam, uh, it's a lot more than just, uh, yeah. I mean, it's a game of anti-Semitic telephone is what it is what it ends right. up becoming, right? Like what the first people are saying become is totally foreign almost to what um, what the people at the other end are saying, and it could it could even be that um, early church fathers really didn't, and, and some of these people that we would consider heroes. Um, some of them may not have overtly hated. Some of them may have this like genuine desire to. Yeah, we do need to differentiate whether we need to preserve Christianity for the in the sake of the gov- in the eyes of the government or whatever. Um, you know, there's any number of reasons that they could really not necessarily hate Judaism, but they they want to see the differentiation. And the next person takes that and just adds those words to confirm whatever hatred they might have already had, and it just grows well, from there. Well, yeah, and you see you see sort of context getting lost to further and further you get away mm-hmm. from the, the original practitioners yes. of the faith, right? The, 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 the 12, as they begin to pass away, I think you said 95 AD is kind of the rough date that we have for the death of John, who's traditionally considered to have lived the longest, and it's not soon after that that you see things starting to take a shift, 
I don't think that's coincidence that there's not these people who have experienced it from the ground up there anymore to say, no, 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 that's not quite the context that we had envisioned. Right. And it's so interesting to me to see the shift after reading the book of Acts, you know, because the book mm. of Acts is, is clearly a situation where Judaism is in control and they start to kind of sprinkle favor to the Gentiles, like, you know, that you have the Jerusalem Council. and But it's so strange to see this shift mm. where it's not just wrong to expect Gentiles to adhere to all Jewish customs. You know, we're not talking about like, you know, they're not Jewish, so do they need to be circumcised? No. Uh, you, you know what I'm yes. saying? Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, but, mm. but now all of a sudden, uh, Christianity starts to take control of the narrative, and mm. now it's not just an idea of, well... Gentiles don't need to act like Jews in every way. Now they're starting to make a case that it's actually wrong to practice Judaism at all. And so you have Justin Martyr, who says, we too, and, the, and this is, um, he, he lived from 100 to 165 AD, uh, we too would observe your circumcision of the flesh, your Sabbath days, and in a word, all your festivals, if we were not of, aware of the reason why they were imposed on you, namely because of your sins and your hardness of heart. So he's making a case. Jeez. Yeah, so he's making a case that Jews were enslaved in these things because they were inherently a people that were hard of heart. Yeah, he's yeah, okay. This is like this is like old English clapbacks at them. Like this is a roast, just full on roasts. Um I mean, I'm trying to think of what I might say in current day that would sound something similar to that, but like basically, um this almost feels like um what this feels like to me is almost um, is almost like when someone brings up like black on black crime, and they're like, "Well, yeah, you did this to yourselves. Um, the reason your homes are destroyed, the reasons you you have all these problems, is because uh, you can't even treat each other with respect." And it's when someone tries to bring up black on black crime that 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 statement's made. Yeah. That's like the closest I can think of off the top of my head. It's not okay at all to say that, and nor is it even accurate. I was gonna say not at all accurate. Uh, not at all accurate. But yeah, that's that's jeez. Right, so now, now all of a sudden you're not just saying that Judaism is a flawed system, uh, which I think most Christians could get on board with and say it's it's incomplete. You know, it needed Christ, and and now it's come to its completeness to a degree. Um, you know, now you're characterizing Jews as a particularly hard-hearted people, just inherently. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 actually, so the the presentation that I'm drawing from uh, as we're talking here is called. Uh, how the prejudice, how prejudice changed the Sabbath, and I think you're spot on with your idea of how, uh, and really where I kind of go with this is that today we still practice prejudice, we still do it in the church, and because of it, it 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 makes us gravitate farther and farther away from truth, and mm. and so when we practice prejudice it actually drives a wedge between God's people and the truth. And I think that we're going to see that as we continue on here. Um, of course, after this last quote, uh, we have the Edict of Milan. We have Christians coming into, uh, not power, but influence in the, yes. uh, in the, in the empire. Uh, we have the first Sunday law established in 321. And then John Chrysostom, uh, who lives from 344 to 407, says, and here's where it starts to get rough, and it's going to get much worse. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, he says, the synagogue is worse than a brothel, 
It is the den of scoundrels and the repair of wild beasts, the temple of demons devoted to idolatrous cults, the ref- the refuge of brigands and debauchees, and the cavern of devils. It is a criminal assembly of Jews, a place of meeting for the assassins of Christ. Wow. Uh, he he later says, and actually, the, the, to finish the quote, it is a house worse than a drinking shop, a den of thieves, a house of ill fame, a dwelling of iniquity, a refuge of devils, a gulf, and an abyss of perdition. I would say the same things about their souls. As for me, I hate the synagogue. I hate the Jews for the same reason. So it, it, it's now become a complete I can see some overtones in there of, of, of you know... You, you know, hatred of Jews. I can see a little bit of overtones in there, kind of sprinkled in a little bit. I mean, he literally says, "I, I hate, hate the, the Jews." Jews. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's jeez. Um, so, so you know, the the interesting thing is, okay, when you have hate groups today, mm-hmm. like the KKK and others, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's one of those. It, it's one of those tragic cases of history where. You want to say, you know what? You're not Christian. Like, like, how could you be Christian? You know, I mean, and, and I believe that, right? Because how yeah. can you, how could you be Christian and practice such hate? However, for their case, they could probably go very far back into Christian history and say, well, we are Christian because look at John Chrysostom, look at Justin Martyr, look at all of these uh, large figures in Christianity who all say we should hate the Jews and, and so, we revere them. Right. And so and so uh, if you're going to get away from prejudice, the only Christianity that's going to get you there is purely the Bible. Because mm-hmm. the Bible yeah, in every nowhere instance, in scripture are those tenets. Right. It, in every instance it rejects prejudice and and hierarchies and differentiation. Yeah, uh, and hatred of, of people groups. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and hatred. If you go on the tradition of men's words in Christianity, the problem is you could make a case that Jew hating, you know, minority hating KKK groups are in fact Christian people. Yep. Well, and I think I think the the, the other side of this is, and this is something I'm learning a lot. And I actually think uh, Rick Anderson, who did a mentoring episode with me. Um, a few weeks ago was, or about a month ago, um, is this idea of holding your role models loosely, holding your your mentors loosely, and remembering that they're human too. I think we have the the we fall into the trap of looking at our early church fathers and looking at them as as these great heroes who could do no wrong, and so we say, well, so it's really easy to say, well, they were great Christians, and also look at their hatred, which must be um, a part of their great Christianity. Like we can't separate. Uh, when humans do something bad, um, from when they, you know, from their goodness, or vice versa. I mean, we do it with with Martin Luther King Jr., um, where, or we we can fall into the trap with him, where there's enough people that um, that just kind of ignore the fact that. I mean, FBI has evidence of it, and it's been reported. It, you know, reporting of it has come back in recent years. Of especially this year, it's picked up back up of of the fact that you know he had some sexual addiction issues, um, to put it lightly and um you've you've got that um alongside one of the greatest civil rights if not the greatest civil rights figure our most well-known figure in history and um like good people or people that we would consider good 
um, can do bad things, and that doesn't make their positive contributions to the world or Christianity any any less significant. It just means that we accept the fact that they're actually human. And I think that's like, we need to do that with our early church fathers to say, yes, I love that Martin Luther stood up to the Catholic Church and the injustices that were happening in that day, um, but he wasn't perfect. Right, right. <laughs> he had flaws. That's well, huge. And we needed to do away with, in, in the Adventist context, with Ellen White, and the same with any church father, church reformer. We tend to, yeah, turn them into fairy tales. Right, bulletproof yep. them. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the problem is, they're all real people with real problems, and you can glean the good while also rejecting mm-hmm. the clear sinfulness uh, in, in various people's lives. So, uh, you know, as we move forward and as, you know, we, we start moving along in history, Jewish synagogues are uh, characterized as unholy places. Jews are seen as devilish and evil people, right, by Christian leaders. And then you come to Emperor Theodosius I, and he's got his Sunctos Populus in uh, 380 AD. Now, what this does is it makes Nicene Christianity the official Roman religion. It's a specific type of Christianity, and so persecution is instituted against all non-Nicene Christianity and various pagan polytheist uh, religions. It was also this and other laws passed by Theodosius I that gradually led to persecution of Jews by the Christian Empire. So here's a quote from James Everett Seaver from the persecution of the Jews in the Roman Empire. Um, This is page 19 of that book. Another new element was the widespread adoption of a superficial Christianity by upper-class Roman society. This brought an already anti-Jewish group into the church for the wars of the first and second centuries had destroyed Jewish popularity with the Roman ruling class. The Roman military was ever watchful for Jewish rebellion, and this was soil in which hostility of the church fathers found it easy to sow the seeds of hate. The Jew, as he encountered in the pagan in the pages of fourth century writers, is, as Parks points out, not a human being at all. And again, this is where you're, you know, you're starting to see the connection between uh, maybe the way that early uh, Americans see uh, African Americans mm-hmm. uh, or African slaves, starting to make claims that uh, you know, in, in, with these Christians uh, in the fourth century, uh, that the Jews are not human beings at all; they are monsters, a theological abstraction of superhuman malice and cunning, and more than superhuman blindness. He is, as we have just seen, rarely charged with a human crime, and little evidence against him is drawn from contemporary behavior or his action in contemporary events. This is, like, honestly, this is really hard to hear. Um, because I, I think I think when we think of anti-Semitism, we really think of it as a relatively recent thing. Like, we think about World War II, we think about the Holocaust, but we don't really go back further than that. And the fact that this has colored so much of church history, like this is this is actually really eye opening for me in general. I think this is the first time I've really interacted with this. And there's probably someone out there that's like, "Duh, you didn't know this was a thing," but like, it is a thing. And this, and like, I'm learning about it right now. Like, this is not something I ever learned in school. This is not something that I ever learned about in church. This is something I'm learning about right now. So, speaking of the Holocaust, <laughs> um, unfortunately, Martin Luther seems to be one uh, who particularly lays down some some pretty heinous uh, words against the Jews. And, and honestly, uh, 
we could probably play a game, who said it, Martin Luther or Hitler, and it would be a pretty difficult game. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as, again, Martin Luther is someone who we look up to in the sense that he did what he did yes. for truth. He did separate from the Catholic Church. He did advocate that people uh, get into the Bible for themselves. I mean, those are those very, are monumental. Very, very much considered a catalyst of modern Christianity. Right. Those are monumental things that he did. Of course, he went back on some of those things by the end of his life. But nevertheless, he mm-hmm. stuck his neck out. Yeah, for, absolutely. For no reason other than God's I mean, truth. He had a straight diet of worms. Like, that is <laughs> that is huge. Um, thank you. I uh, will be here all night. Um, thank you for listening to Absurdity. This has been great. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so continue on. Um, but, but Martin Luther, nevertheless, had his flaws, uh, and one of them is his hatred for the Jews, absolute hatred for the Jews. In fact, he has a book that was published in 1543 entitled The Jews and Their Lies, Martin Luther writing a book entirely about how much Jeez. he hates Jews. Uh, he says, what shall, Christians, what shall we Christians do with this rejected and condemned people, the Jews? Well, he's going to tell you. First, to set fire to their synagogues or schools. This is to be done in honor of our Lord and of Christendom so that God might see that we are Christians. So he's defining Christianity as Burning down a terrorist sect, Jews. essentially. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yep. Uh, a true Christian hates Jews and will and will cease to ki- or will will proceed to kill everything that they hold dear. Right, 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 right. So, yeah, for for, for those who are uh, obsessed with um, terrorism in other religious uh, sections, yes, it has existed very realistically in uh, even in mainstream Christianity at times. Uh, He says, second, I advise that their houses also be razed and destroyed. Third, I advise that all their prayer books and Talmudic writings in which such idolatry, lies, cursing, and blasphemy are taught be taken from them. Fourth, I advise that their rabbis be forbidden to teach henceforth on pain of loss of life and limb. Fifth, I advise that safe conduct on the highways be abolished completely for the Jews, for they have no business in the countryside. Don't allow them to travel, not safely at least. Wow. Sixth, I advise that usury be prohibited to them and that all cash and treasure of silver and gold be taken from them. So take all their money. Seventh, I recommend putting a flail, an axe, a hoe, a spade, a distaff, or a spindle to the hands of young, strong Jews and Jewesses and letting them earn their bread in the sweat of their brow but if we are afraid that they might harm us or our wives, children, servants, cattle, etc., then let us emulate the common sense of other nations, such as France, Spain, Bohemia, etc., then eject them forever from the country. Jeez. Um, okay. So I think we've pretty much established that we all don't like Martin Luther anymore. Um, or if not, we're at least hitting, I forget what it is, but we're hitting a moment where it's, we basically will enter into cognitive dissonance if we're not careful. Um, because I mean, some of this is really hard to swallow. And, um, I think my thought is like, this is something that very much still exists today. Um, for, in very different ways. And I think in many cases in mainstream Christianity and it's, it, I think it is, it is also pervasive in Adventism, whether we like it or not. Um, I think anti-Semitism is very much still, um, real and alive, and subtly, very implied, um, taught. In other words, like I can think of a number of sermons that I've that I've given 
where just for my lack of clarification on a point, um, I basically left it open to interpretation for you to think that the Jews are terrible people. Um, I can th- see, I can, th- I can see that several times where I, that was never my intent. But your intent doesn't matter if what you've done <laughs> is something terrible. Um, well, I think that you get a pass in the sense that, you, unlike these guys, you well, are yes. not explicitly yeah. advocating for the harm of Jews. But I see what you're saying, and I think that ever since I really dug into this for myself, uh, in fact, it, it was only. sometime within the last couple of years, I don't remember when, but we talked about the book of Acts and we really dug into the Jerusalem council and dug into Jewish and uh, Gentile relations. And it's really made me rethink the way that I do explain those things because uh, I realized that the rhetoric goes downhill pretty sharply uh, afterwards. Well, I mean, you're, you're looking at, you're looking at four gospels where it literally, Jesus is the hero of the story as you read it. And which means that anyone who stands against Jesus is automatically the villain of the story. So literally every encounter you have with Jesus, um, it's him versus the Jews. It's him, even though he is a Jew. Um, it's him versus the Pharisees. It's him versus the Sadducees. It's him versus these people. They are but the it's ones not, trying it's, to... It's, it's never, it's never in, in, whenever you encounter these kind of attitudes, it's never couched in its proper context of him speaking out against authority that has been improperly yes. enacted. Correct. He's they, not speaking they, out they, against they, Jews. They immediately, exactly. Because yeah. he's, he's, as you mentioned, he is Jewish. Yes, exactly. Right? And 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 all the scriptures that they're referencing, it, it, it is something that God had done through Jews. So, but that context is lost because people latch on to a different narrative that is convenient for it seemingly prejudices that they've already held and they feel like, oh, well, I can express it this way. At least that's what I'm hearing as I as I hear you describe these things. It, it, it definitely seems like they're saying, okay, how can I justify the things that I already feel in language that makes sense to me? Because when you hold these kinds of attitudes up to Scripture itself, there is no empowerment or... Right when when you when you read Paul write about how there is neither Jew nor Gentile, you know in mm-hmm. in in, uh, in Christ, right? Like mm-hmm. in, in Christ, we, are, we there's no differentiation. There's there's not those delineations. There's not right. those hierarchies, right? Like I mean, he he breaks down the walls of differentiation and mm-hmm. prejudice yeah. and hierarchy. It, like the Bible, a hundred percent is against all of this, but somehow we end up with people feeling very confident. Uh, in in these declarations, yeah. Uh, and, and the last quote that I have from uh, Church Fathers it comes from John Calvin, uh, in a same year as uh, as Martin Luther's book that we just quoted from. Uh, he has a book called "A Response to Questions and Objections of a Certain Jew." He says the Jews' rotten and unbending stiff neckness deserves that they be oppressed unendingly and without measure or end and that they die in their misery without the pity of anyone. Wow. Which runs counter to everything that Jesus taught. But this is the same kind of rhetoric. This mm-hmm. is what I want you to know. Is this is the same kind of rhetoric that we find if you start looking um, at the way that African Americans are treated or yeah. Af- African slaves are Absolutely. treated. Um, you know, when when the question is, I mean, at one point there was, you know, apparently... Uh, 
a time where even Southern slave owners had this idea of like, well, what we're doing is probably wrong. And, but because of rhetoric wars between the North and South, Southern slave owners dig their heels in and start finding biblical reasons why they should uh, have slaves, yep. uh, why they should be allowed to be slave owners, and, and also why they should be allowed to treat them terribly. And of course, you start to have uh, strange theological abstractions like the idea that um, uh, the curse of Ham yes. mm-hmm. is dark skin uh, and... Uh, you start to have uh, other strange ideas like, um, you know, that there are unhuman races of people, or at least maybe half-human races of people, uh, by, uh, I want to say that it it really comes from the Kabbalah, uh, this idea that, uh, and of course people interpolate it into the actual biblical text, this idea that angels had relations with Mm. people, and that produced a, a kind of an unhuman, uh, evil race of people. Uh, now, when I read the Bible, I don't see that, but some people do. And I think, again, it comes from the Kabbalah. It comes from tradition. It comes from uh, these various ideas. So the, the problem is uh, people start advocating for these theological ideas that there exist some people that are either unhuman or half-human or more beast than human. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, what we're finding is that when you look at these quotes, that's an idea that's been around for a long time. And, yeah. and it gets, uh, it gets uh, placed upon uh, African slaves later on, but we find that in this era, it's actually um, yeah. placed upon Jews. Well, and I think so. There's there's something here too because I I don't want to lose the original kind of what we brought up historically on the Sabbath, which is which is there's there's a huge warning sign in there to say um, that we need to be willing to look inward when we look at change and when we look at um, when we look at our own past. Um, and it it is basic. We all like to be the hero of our own story. That's like a psychological thing too. We always see ourselves as the hero. If I cut you off in traffic, it's because I'm in a hurry. If you cut me off in traffic, it's because you're a jerk, you're impatient, and you couldn't just, you know, be a couple seconds late or a couple minutes late, right? Um, and it's the same with now the Sabbath. Like, I, I could easily hear Adventists hearing this and still saying, well, yeah, but it was all Constantine. Like, it wasn't us. We're the, we're, you know, we're the victims. Christianity was the victim of, of, the, of the government or of the establishment. That's right. Um, but no, we very much played into this. I mean, if, if we had anti-Semitic attitudes leading up to that decision, then that decision is so easy to make. Right, we it's basically the government giving us a free pass to continue living in that anti-Semitic way. That's right. Um, that's that is huge. Now, I'm not saying Adventists now are the victim of that because, like, we're reclaiming the Sabbath day. I'm just saying that it's very easy for us to then say, well, there was no flaw in the Christian; it was a government thing. And I think that you're catching on to what I think is the key important realization in all of this is that if it was just passed down upon us uh, from the government then honestly, we don't need to change, right? Yeah. We were forced into sin and it wasn't our fault. So it, by all means, we could probably keep keeping Sunday and just claim, well, we, we were forced into it. Or you could make the claim that, um, you know, well, you know, it, it's, 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 not, it's not an us problem, it's a government problem. There's this idea in Christianity that everything is the devil's fault. 
everything is the other's fault, right? And and we it, it brings us comfort, like you said, to be able to place the blame on everyone but ourselves. But the true message of like a Christianity, scapegoat. right, right. The, the the true message of Christianity is that the rottenness is in all of us. Yeah. It wasn't government officials that made us change. It was the everyday Christian who didn't want to be associated with the Jews. And whether that was self-preservation, whether that was truly just yeah. having, unfortunately, bad encounters with Jewish people and... Or uh, just cre- buying into the, the popular you know, cultural narrative right. that says, well, I'm not the bad guy, so I might as well go along with... Right, right, right. This idea. Yeah, it, 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 and it could... It, who knows why prejudices right. form, but they do, and giving into those things here shows that it was not uh, the unfortunate, uh, well, we just lived in the wrong place at the wrong time. We were forced to keep these laws, otherwise we would have been you know, persecuted. No, it was we imposed this upon ourselves because we did not want to be associated with those people. And yep. you create a very strong us and them. And you see how it, it starts off pretty, uh, you know, not innocent, but okay. like For lack of a better word, benign. Right. Uh, to the to the point where you know okay Jews killed Jesus yes forgetting that he's a Jew yeah, <laughs> in that whole right. narrative uh but then it picks up steam yeah. to the point where we're saying we hate Jews we should uh, burn their houses down and then John Calvin saying uh, advocating that they be oppressed endlessly and then die without pity I, f- I find I find it interesting like listening to all this I can't help but think that you know prejudice strips truth of its context right and 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 so people keyed in on the sabbath it seems early on as this delineating marker one of the ten commandments right why why none of the other of the ten right those were just as jewish as any as as the sabbath was yeah and in in in, if you're using that as a framework i mean if we want to get hyper technical the sabbath predated any kind of notion of you know cultural or whatever it's from creation, but but looking at it from that standpoint of oh you're saying this is part of a cultural framework, right or an ethnic framework. What about the Sabbath made them keen on that as a as an expression of the prejudice as opposed to the other ten? Do you think, or do you have some kind of insight into what about that particular? I think it was. I mean, I think it was just the main, the big identifier for them. I, 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 like, I think if you are trying to differentiate yourself, then you pick the most obvious thing to do. I mean, even even now as an Adventist, when I talk to people and and I ask like, why you know, you know, we keep you know, why do you keep a Sunday Sabbath? They say, well, we're not Jews. Like the first thing you think of when you think of a Jew, typically is Saturday and is Sabbath. And so I think it's just the easiest, most like it's a weekly reminder of who these people are. Um, and I think that was, I think that was just the easiest thing to latch onto. Whereas, and I think the Sabbath from a moral standpoint, um, has much less kind of objective moral obligation to keep outside of like, don't kill people, honor your, you know, honor your father and your mother, don't steal, don't covet what someone else has so, 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 versus so keeping the, a day. The stakes are lower, essentially. Yeah, the stakes are, are yeah, the stakes are much lower for a day versus killing people. Which one do we really which one do we think we value more here? So I think it's just the easiest one that doesn't make them compromise on their own morals to walk away from. I think that I, 
that would be my answer to that. That's obviously speculation, but that would right. be where I would be. Well, and, and, and you see early on here with some of the early church fathers, uh, this idea that they actually come up with biblical reasons. Right? You even see uh, one of them saying, as I quoted earlier, uh, that Jesus created the earth on Sunday. So we, <laughs> so we yes. create, so, so, so we, you know, uh, so that's why we keep Sunday. But you have the idea that Jesus rose from the grave on Sunday, so that's why we keep Sunday. Neither of those are biblical orders, no. but... Especially the the second one is always interesting to me when I hear it because it would, to my mind, speak to how even in death Jesus would honor the Sabbath. Wait, so yeah, so he re- he rose on Sunday, which means he rested on the he, Sabbath. he rested on the Sabbath, right? Yeah, yeah in death he yeah, but you the could, Sabbath. but if you don't come from a framework where you believe that death is sleep necessarily, then that also might have you know then right then, then he then he, he was in, was working really hard. He was on the in Sabbath. hell conquering. Yes, and, exactly. <laughs> then, then no, he did the exact opposite on the Sabbath. But neither here nor there, I suppose. So <laughs> can we? Well, I don't want to. I don't want to cut off anything early. I do want to shift gears, kind of the present. Um, so is it, if there's anything else here in history that we need to look at. I, I do think that it's interesting to note uh, and important to the conversation to note that, um, and this is not purely contemporary, but um, Christianity and the Holocaust, right? German Christians largely supported Hitler and his, quote, reforms. And and it all goes back to this rhetoric. I mean, he appealed to their feelings toward Jews, right? He appealed like these are not new feelings. They go back all the way to the second century. Mm. Like it's crazy so how much tradition Hitler had on his side. He's tapping into a big reservoir. Yeah, in in uh, pre-existing this, prejudice. Yeah, this actually includes Seventh Day Adventists, like hmm. Seventh Day Adventists in, Christians in Germany largely supported Hitler uh, before, of course, everything came to light. But, of course, by then, you realize that you have just aided... And abetted a monster. Right, exactly. Uh, So I I think that that, to me, was shocking to learn. Yeah. That that we were so on the wrong side of history uh, in that case. And it makes me question... How can we be sure that we're on the right side of history now? And, yes, and it makes me want to reflect on what prejudices do I hold? What prejudices do we hold as yeah. Christians, as Adventists, um, that are maybe blinding the way that we live our lives, the way we vote, the way we treat people, um, just on a very daily, basic uh, level? Yeah, I think, and then, so so you ended up naturally where I wanted to go, which is where do we see echoes of this? Where do we see prejudice starting to guide theology or, or hints of it um, in current rhetoric and current teaching and otherwise? And, and I think the big one for me um, is in the way we treat Muslims. Um, I think that's actually a huge one is the way Christianity, and I, and I hear a lot in Seventh-day Adventism as well, the way we look down on Muslims, the way that we, um, the way that we assume. Any, I mean, literally, I was pastoring with a large beard, and people in their 60s and 70s would see me, and they literally thought, like, when I shaved my beard, they told me, you know, when you first walked in here, I thought you were one of them terrorists. Mm. Not even, like, a, not a Muslim, not someone, you know, not, not anything, just one of them terrorists. I had an 11-year-old kid who I knew prior to having a beard, who when I had a beard and he saw me a couple years later, he actually actively avoided me for a few days until, he, until someone told him who I was, and he went, oh, that's Ryan. 
I, I, and then he told me, he's like, I was actually scared of you. I thought you were a terrorist. Hmm. This is an 11-year-old kid whose first framework for Muslim, or first framework for a guy with a beard who looks like he could be Muslim, is terrorist. Um, I, yeah, I, like, it's, it's embedded in him. It's so tragic to me to see. And those are just tiny examples. Um, but, I, I mean, I see it in the idea. We, we actually were talking about this earlier this week of um, Christians are so afraid of Sharia law, but we'd be happy for Sharia law if it meant that Christianity was the thing that was enforced on everyone else. Right. If, if we could enforce our ideals on everyone else, that wouldn't be a problem. Well, just, I mean, you, you, I don't know. I don't know what prejudice does to the brain, right? But just the different, the other is so like they can't even separate the idea that when they hear the word when I say they just when any, any anyone with that predisposition hears the word Allah and reacts negatively you know it's like do you not understand that that's just a different language saying god like right. they they can't even separate right. that they're like no you can't say Allah is bad it's 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 another way of saying it's God. When, when I when I try to explain to people that Allah is literally a literal translation, it, it's literally Elohim in Arabic, which uh, <sighs> it, it's just like no, because Allah is evil and God and Elohim are good. Never mind that God is an English translation of Elohim. I mean, yeah, it's a word. Right. It's literally now, just a word. Th- this is a mind trip, uh, and and you probably know this if you took any classes from Doctor Saman. Uh, at Southern, oh, which means I don't know this. Okay, so maybe you don't. But but he pointed out that uh, growing up and reading uh, the Great Controversy in Arabic, it's actually the Great Jihad. Mm-hmm. Mm. It, it's which is struggle. Jihad means yeah. struggle. Wow, uh, I didn't know that. Right, and so <laughs> that's a mind trip for people who can't handle you know uh, Arabic imagery. And you know, mm-hmm. this idea that you know that—that's actually how you would translate that book. Uh, let's title. give all of those Adventists that are like gung ho about passing out the Great Controversy for free. Let's have them go door to door in Arabic communities <laughs> with an Arabic translation of the Great Controversy. Let's just let them have fun with that. Right. Right. Wow. But you know, I, I had a similar experience to you. I mean, you know, and it's one of those like you know, I can brush it off, but at the same time, uh, you know, dating a girl uh, when I was down at Southern and. Uh, you know, I had a large beard at one time as well. And uh, my nickname in the house was Al-Qaeda. And, you know, I just remember, like, again, it was like I could brush it off. But at the same time, just always kind of yep. inwardly irked me that, you know, like, 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 why? Like, it doesn't hurt me personally, but it, I do feel like it does disservice to a number of people. Yeah. Well, and and I think the other area that I'm seeing this too is in the way that we are talking. We talk about immigrants, the way we talk about um, we talk about immigration in general. I think we're seeing a lot of alienation of the other, um, and and yeah, it is. It is this. We're trying to to draw clear lines between us, God's chosen people, and in Adventism, God's chosen remnant, mm-hmm. and anyone else. I mean, it's even in, it's embedded in our evangelism. I mean, if I see someone outside of my church building, I automatically assume that they need to hear about Jesus. Or they need to hear about Jesus in my particular church. Um, we're not we're not even comfortable with the idea that someone would be safe on the weekends worshiping God if it's not in our church building. We are trained to look at anyone we don't know and assume they are lost mm. from the start. That is a trained thing in in the current model of discipleship, and so it, like it, it, I can see it just embedded in so many things, and 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 that does impact the way we talk on the national stage, on the world stage. It, it impacts relationships. Um, and it's and it's dangerous to me. Like it's absolutely dangerous to me. And um, and I can see 
Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of ways that even I've played into that, um, whether it's off-color jokes every now and then with friends or uh, whether it is in my preaching when I talk about the Pharisees and the Sadducees doing these terrible things to Jesus or trying to trap Jesus, and then I don't clarify and say, like, yeah, but they're also doing something that we would do. Because to them, Jesus was a disruptor of their way of life, and they're doing nothing to him that we wouldn't do to them if they were coming in and trying to tell it. I mean, they considered him like Adventists considered shepherd rod, right? Like a threat to what we're doing, and if any of them show up in your church and try to preach, or try to usurp what you're doing, you get them out. That's what, that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're just protecting their way of life. Yeah. Um, that's all they're doing. And this is... So they're not... If anything, when we read the story of Jesus, we like to think of ourselves as the person Jesus helped, like uh, the woman caught in adultery. But really, we'd be more like the we'd be more probably like the Pharisees, bringing someone to be judged by Jesus. Oh, I, I think that when we read the story, uh, we often like to think that we are Simon, uh, the guy who helped carry the cross. You know, like we oh, yeah. we, we like to think that we are as helpful to Jesus as possible. When yes. I think that you're right. I mean, I, I think. Uh, more often than not, especially when you look at how uh, traditional we uh, we can we can really latch onto our traditions. Um, I just uh, w- um, you know talking about um, the traditions that we come up with uh, when it comes to things like the Sabbath, right? I mean, when you think about it, if you start outlining, well, you can swim on any day, but the Sabbath. The Bible never says that. <laughs> when you start saying yeah. you can you can well you can't swim. But you can wade uh, up to your knee, and then other places it might be. Well, you can't wade up to your knee, but if you if you just get it up to your ankles, uh, right? That's that's fine on the Sabbath. There's literally nothing about that in the Bible, and those are actual things that actual Seventh Day Adventists uh, not only have told me, but have enforced yep. uh, religiously, as if you know I would be breaking God's commandment if I got in the water on the Sabbath, you know, that is straight up exactly what mm-hmm. the Jews were doing that Jesus uh, was against. And I, I don't say that to bash my own tribe because I love Seventh-day Adventism, but I do think that we have a proclivity to uh, latch onto those traditions just like the Jews did. And I think that uh, it, we have a problem uh, seeing the parallels between us and uh, and them and maybe even more so than other Christians, we see it as uh, our duty to make sure that people know. Like like, has anyone ever mistaken you for a Jew because you keep the Sabbath? No, but they have for my beard. Okay, okay, so maybe yeah, maybe that's all. But, no, I yeah, but but I know people who uh, you know. They they tell people they keep Saturday as as the Sabbath. Oh yes, and, and they say yeah, and, and, and oh, they go Jewish? yeah. Are you Jewish? And it's like no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not Jewish. Like you know, it's like it's like the first thing you want to clear yeah. up is, uh, and, and it, truly, we're pretty much not. I mean, we're, we are Christians, but there, there's such a there's such a need to like clarify, like oh no, no I'm I'm not I'm not Jewish. You know, yeah. Um, I, I think that it's the, the fact that we do keep Sabbath almost gives Seventh Day Adventists more reason to clarify and to make sure that people know that we're not uh, Jewish. Yeah, we're not those. We're not them. We're not the other. Right, right, Um, right. I love hearing people who've benefited from chain migration then, you know, denounce chain migration um, or people who've benefited from, like, Christianity benefits from a rich history steeped in Judaism. 
literally half over half the Bible <laughs> right. is, if not the entire Bible, is something that exists because of Judaism. Right. And this isn't, you know, we are not a we are not the replacement God's chosen people. We are a continuation of, and we were grafted very much into God's chosen people, right. which includes Jews. Um, yeah, I, man. <laughs> now, now an, an interesting uh, experience that I recently had, uh, we, we just, uh, as a conference, went to Israel uh, on a kind of a study tour kind of thing. And uh, an interesting reversal of the situation was, uh, as Adventists, we were so excited to share with the pious Jews, yeah, we keep the Sabbath. You know, if, if anyone asks us, oh, so you're Christian? Oh, so, you know, we, we were excited to say, yeah, but but we keep the Sabbath, though. And uh, these Jews would look at us with this confused look and go, no, you couldn't possibly keep the Sabbath. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was just like, how dare you after millennia of using this yes. differentiation, now all of a sudden you're keeping the Sabbath as Christians? No. You're obviously mistaken, and I reject what you're saying to me. Uh, yeah. And it was like immediate and stern. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and so it's interesting that Christianity has earned itself at least in you know the hotbed of uh, Judaism in, in Jerusalem this reputation of, uh, you know, just a complete ignorance of the Sabbath. Yeah. And, and even if we're trying to claim that we do keep the Sabbath, how dare you? And, and, and really, like, don't, don't talk to me about it's that. It's almost like cultural appropriation, <laughs> right. almost, right? Like, yeah, that's, that's a slap in the face. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're trying to be like, yeah, we're like you. <laughs> you're like, no, you're not. And what's funny is I hear friends who go to Israel, and they're like, Oh yeah, we like if you look at how Jews actually keep the Sabbath, we don't keep the Sabbath. Like we're terrible at it. <laughs> oh, it's, is, it's nothing like it. Yeah, it's nothing like it. Um, I haven't seen it firsthand, but I've heard, um, and I've heard of the celebrations that take place as the sun goes down Friday night. Um, nothing like we just do a prayer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're just like, all right, everyone gather around. Let's have sundown. Let's have, let's open the Sabbath. And they're like dancing in circles and jumping and excited. It's like a party is being thrown because the Sabbath is here. Oh, and, and I can't tell you how many people got their hands slapped for you know trying to take pictures of the celebrations because it's breaking the Sabbath to use a camera phone. It's, mm. you know, you're, you're you're not to do those things, and and you have people actually going around and saying, "Hey, please stop that." Hey, please stop that. This is offensive. Please stop that. You know? Wow. And it was uh, annoying to me uh, as, yeah. as an arrogant uh, <laughs> yeah, American yeah. Adventist. You know, I'm going to take my pictures because I paid for a ticket to come all the way out here and see your traditions. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but at the same token, it's kind of like, well, they do take this very seriously. Yeah. And, and they're, not, they're not animals in a zoo. They're people writing right. their beliefs. Right. Yeah, I... But I can understand the tension that I would feel, too, because there's the cultural disconnect there. You aren't from there, and you don't live the same way that they do. So it is easy to see this new thing and want to document it right? Um, without even realizing that it's offensive to them. Um, so let me ask this, because um, we are winding down on time here. Um, what are the questions that we can ask ourselves, or what are things we can ask ourselves to keep ourselves in check in regards to our prejudice informing or guiding our theology? Like, like as we, as, if 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 we're coming across a text or words that seem to implicate the other, like what are th- what are the things we should look for? What are the questions that we you might at, say like what you should ask yourself this before you say yes, this is exactly what I believe now. Hmm. 
Well, I, you know, I, I think that it's just good to maybe take a step back and check your thoughts, you know, uh, how, how are my thoughts toward this person and why am I thinking these things? You know, mm. I think, I think we all have prejudices hundred percent. I mean, it's not yes. something that any of us are without, uh, and it might have nothing to do with race. It might have to do with, um, you know, this person with his glasses and mm-hmm. <laughs> people who wear glasses, uh, are obviously jerks. And, you know, so, yeah. th- th- so this person who has glasses that I'm just going to obviously assume that I can't be friends with them. You know, I mean, little things like that. I mean, that's a kind of silly example. Well, yeah, uh, but I mean, you see it even in how, um, like it's, it goes both ways in genders, guys and girls will treat people they're un- they're not attracted to versus people they are attracted to. Yeah. Um, you see those prejudices come out very, very easily. And those attractions often have to do with childhood memories, yep. uh, you know, early, early traumas or, uh, you know, early, early positive memories too. Does this person remind you of your mother? Uh, does this person remind you of your father who you hate? You know, yes. Um, th- those things can all play into how we treat people. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, yeah, I, I think that's really good to take a step back and, and really question like, what did I think of these people before I read this text? Right. Right. Like what was my opinion of them prior to reading these texts or, or reading about church history or whatever? Right. And it's, and it's so interesting to me that, uh, you know, Christians will just read the Gospels and go, and that's why we hate Jews. And then just completely, like, not go forward and read all about how Paul is saying, like, you know, let, let's break down these walls and let's, you know, let's let's not set up these hierarchies. Let's not set up these differences. We are all one in Christ. Yep, absolutely. Um, all right, so last, um, last thing I want to ask here is... Um, how do we talk about the reality of the opposition to Jesus and the struggle of Israel um, without subtly, you know, without subtly teaching people to hold Jews in contempt, right? Like, how do we say, like, yeah, there was this bad thing that happened, and we do believe as Christians the Jews had it wrong here. Like, there's that fact, but I don't think that should translate into hating them. It's just... Well, I think I think for one, not making it ethnocentric, right? Because it it wasn't so much that the Jews had it wrong; it was the religious leadership mm-hmm. had it wrong. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. because the people that got it right, guess what? Also Jews. You yeah, know what exactly. I mean? yes, so, exactly. So, that, so I I think it's important to denote it has nothing to do with an entire people group. An, a, a, yes, an, an, an ethnicity. We're, we're, that's not what you're dealing with. You're dealing with a religious hierarchy. Right, that is misinterpreting from yeah. from the Christian standpoint exactly what God has been trying to do. Right, and I, I think understanding that, yeah, it, it's literally Jews versus Jews in this story. I mean, the entire Bible, as you were saying, it, the entire Bible, all the way to Revelation. I mean, it is all Judaism centric. Yep. I mean, a hundred percent. It, it just is. It's the story of salvation written by God's people who happen to be Jews. I mean, they just are. That's the reality. So you you have, in the case of the Gospels, Jews versus Jews, and Jews converting Jews to Christianity. Uh, and these are not Gentile Jews who are converting Jewish people to Christianity. It's It's Jewish people converting Jews to a new way of you know, practicing faith. And, and introducing this character Jesus, uh, yeah. who who is, for all intents and purposes, the traditional Messiah. As I say, a fulfillment of 
promises that we see all throughout Jewish scripture. Right. Right. And and not not saying now all that has come before is invalidated, but literally validating it. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think too, there's something here in that I think we, we need to clean up the rhetoric um in I think a lot of the times that we talk about the Jews, quote unquote, um, we talk about them as a belief system rather than as a actual ethnic people, like as an actual people. Uh, we talk about the Jews becoming Christian. No, right. th- like it's not like they don't stop being Jews because they're Christian now. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you don't stop being a white person because you're a Christian. You don't stop being a black person because you're Christian, right? Um, and so I think we do need to clean up the rhetoric a bit to say like uh, to to clearly delineate that we're talking about a, an actual people group, an actual bloodline, an actual culture, rather than just Judaism as a belief system. Um, I think I think that would go a long way. It's something I need to work on for sure. Um, but I think I, I think it would go a long way in, in helping us kind of clarify that line and 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 um, prevent ourselves from blaming the people for what may have been at the time because of religious leadership um, a flawed teaching or or flawed interpretation of scripture. I think that uh, what this presentation does and the things that I've shared here also show is that things go downhill so fast after the last of the apostles die, mm-hmm. who are Jews, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and again, what you find in the New Testament is, is this struggle for Jews to be benevolent to Gentiles. That is true. You know, I mean, that, that that's yes. the, the case in the book of Acts. I mean, it's a huge struggle. And by the way, since this is a Jewish book, um, it makes sense that it would be very difficult to break some of these traditions. You know what I'm saying? Like, like to, like literally you have uh, circumcision being such an important and, and cornerstone thing to be yeah. practiced by Jews that now all of a sudden we're giving that up so that Gentiles can be a part, who, by the way, have traditionally been so unclean we can't associate or touch them. I mean, these might be tradition, traditional things, yeah, but they're still a reality for most of the Jews. So um, so I, I think that, A, we need to understand that Jews had every right to be confused and have a hard time getting over these long, long, long traditions. Uh, however, the problem is, as soon as Gentiles come into power, they completely flip the narrative and start yeah. oppressing Jews uh, in the same way. I mean, it is only years, like like maybe five to 10, between five and 10 years after John dies that we start seeing this anti-Jewish rhetoric from Gentile Christians. Mm. Um, and, and so I, I think that it's, while, while it's a reality that we need to uh, understand that yes, Jews did have their flaws, we can't just go and do the same things and then call ourselves the heroes. That's that that may be how history works, but it's not how truth works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Zach, thank you so much, man, for coming on. This has been super enlightening for me. And I think um, I'm going to ask you guys for your final thoughts here in a second. And I'm going to share mine first, just so this gives you some time uh, to think about it. But I think my final thoughts here is, too, I, the reason that I wanted to talk about this, uh, especially when you brought it up, it gave me kind of the perfect excuse to talk about it, too, um, is because I don't want to be anti-Semitic. I don't want to 
even give reason for anyone to quote me to justify their anti-Semitic beliefs. Um, but in the same way that my journey with racism has been just that, a journey, right? Um, I think in this episode, I probably demonstrated some of that rhetoric on my own, even in trying to not be anti-Semitic. Um, and, and, you know, Steve called me out, or not even really directly called me out, but he said, you know, not even the Jews, the, the Jews had it right as well, not just the Jews had it wrong. Um, and I think this is a journey of saying, and I think what, what we're saying here is our, our aim is to not let our prejudice, prejudice, prejudices take hold and, and lead us, um, but there's a journey to get there, and I think it first starts with talking about it. Um, so uh, I am you know, really grateful for this conversation, and I'm hoping that you know, if, if someone is listening to this, that they'll start to uh, think about their own prejudices, whether it's towards even other denominations, whether it's towards... Um, Islam and Muslims or immigrants or uh, other races, just whoever it might be, ages, ageism is huge. Um, you know, I, I, I do hope that this episode can kind of give us pause to look at ourselves, look, look inward, as hard as that might be for now, and to start questioning ourselves a bit. So I think that's where I land after kind of this conversation. But final thoughts from either of you on any of this? I think the unfortunate thing it, for me is that uh, even after presenting on this and, and studying it out for myself, uh, going to Israel and experiencing modern-day Judaism, um, the unfortunate thing is that I really was turned off by it. Didn't love it. Uh, hmm. I, I did not love the way that they keep the Sabbath. You know, uh, there's a lot of loopholes. There's a lot of uh, legalism. And in all honesty... I found myself, I don't know, I don't know that I was being prejudiced against Jews, but I found myself being like, yeah, don't like this. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and feeling very, uh, very confident in my non-Jewishness. Um, again, I don't know that I would say that it fostered prejudice, but I guess that I could see the feeling of the otherness uh, mm. that, that maybe fostered uh, feelings of prejudice yeah. for Christians throughout the ages. I mean, and part of it is that uh, Judaism has become a very uh, ethnic uh, group. You know, it, it has become a very, uh, you know, we we are Jews and you are not. And uh, and and it was that way in in the first and second century. And uh, I'm not I'm not saying that 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 it's justified, but I'm just saying that it's interesting how after even reading through this and even presenting on it, I can find myself going, "Yeah, I don't like I don't like Judaism." I'm not, <laughs> I don't, like I don't, it's not, yeah, it's not your it's not your thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can understand it, that. And of course, it's, I think it's a large leap between not liking something and actively attacking it. Um, but yeah, it's just a human inclination o o over years yeah. of time. And again, like you were calling it. It's like it's like telephone. One person doesn't like it. Well, here's later, <laughs> advocating yes. advocating for uh, attack against it. Yes, absolutely. Steve, final thoughts. The two things that I I think I take away from it is is one to to seek out um, people and experiences that differentiate from my own my own comfort zone, my own ideas of what is. I guess normal in a sense, and, and 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 so like I'm I'm interested to to experience and to talk with with people who live the reality of a different faith, 
Like I, I'd be very interested to sit and talk with a rabbi about like his feelings and perceptions on what it means to be Jewish and interact with Christianity. You know what I mean? I would, yeah. I would, I would, I would love to see how they celebrate things that we do share in common, like the Sabbath, or at least the idea of the Sabbath and things like that. Um, to 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 try to get, I guess, empathy. If I'm if I'm trying to pick a word, yeah. but but understanding from someone else's perspective that I just don't have, because I feel like for me, like to sit there and say like with certainty that, Oh, this is completely wrong. Might, you know, it would invalidate in my mind somebody else's experience. Whereas if I sit and experience it with them and ask them for their perspectives, it can give me much more of an informed understanding of why things are done the way that they're done. Um, and the second thing that it brought to my mind is just, just dealing with the idea of prejudice and the other. It's a constant reminder that when it comes to my relationship with Jesus, I am the other, right? And scripture says that while I was yet his enemy, he loved me. Mm. And we are called to love others the way that we were first loved, right? So even if somebody is quote unquote the other, scripture is telling me, yes, that's the person you love the way that I loved you. Mm. And it's just a, it's a reminder of the beauty of the love of Christ. And it's a reminder of my call as a as a pastor, as a Christian, as a human, to extend the same courtesy and love that I was shown to those who may not agree with me or practice things the same as me or believe the same as me. Yeah. It's 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 definitely a reminder that my calling is to is to love, not to to hate. Yeah, the biggest the biggest evidence or the biggest hint that you should love someone is the very fact that you don't want to or you don't think they deserve it. I think that is the biggest evidence or the biggest kind of big neon sign that goes ding, like, you know, in the bell, ding, 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 like this is the person you need to go love. Um, and it, it's the person you think is the most, is the least deserving of it, the person that you um, you have every reason you feel to hate and not to love. Um, that's the person that you're called to humble yourself and serve. Especially because I know I am that person in someone else's eyes. Oh, I'm not. I'm perfect. So it's... Somehow I have to slip into every single absurdity episode that I am flawless. This you're not. Your regular. beard is, but you're not. <laughs> you're right. These are, these are facts. Um, hey, thank you guys so much for coming on. I really appreciated this conversation, and it was super enlightening for me. Um, to our listeners, thank you guys for joining with us. Uh, you can find all the contact information for us uh, in the show notes and uh, anything else. In fact, I don't know, Zach, if you want to make this kind of presentation available via download or anything like that. But if he does, uh, that will also be in the show notes if you want to look into it too. Um, But thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.